For our scripture reading today, we'll read verses 1 through 21. Genesis 31, 1 through 21. Beginning to read then with the first verse of chapter 31. Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons, uh, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has secured all this wealth. And Jacob saw a countenance, saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable toward him as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your family. I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field to his flock and said to them, I see your father's countenance that it is not favorable toward me as before, but the God of my father has been with me. And you know that with all my might I served your father, yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not allow him to hurt me. And if he said thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore speckled. And if he said thus, the streaked shall be your wages. So God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them unto me. And it happened uh, at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream and behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted. Then the angel of the Lord spoke to me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, Here I am, Lord. And he said, Lift, lift your eyes now and see all the rams which leap upon the flocks are streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted. For I have seen that all I have seen all that Laban is doing to you, and I am the God, I am your the God of Bethel, when you uh, anointed the pillar, and were uh, made and made a vow to me. Now rise, get out of this land, and return to the land of your family. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said unto him. Is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has sold us and also completely consumed our money. For all these riches which God has taken from our father are really ours and our children's. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. Then Jacob rose and set his sons and his wives on camels he carried away all his livestock and all his possessions, which he had gained, his acquired livestock, which he had gained in Padam Haram, to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Now Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the household gods that were her father's. And Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban the Syrian, and that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. So he fled with all that he had, he rose and crossed the river and headed toward the mountains of Gilead. May the Lord bless this reading to our good understanding. Well, this past week I happened to see a, a murder account on uh, television. It was a story or a narrative. It was on one of these uh, police or detective uh, stations. And, but this one was very different in that it, it portrayed this family that 
from the outside looked like the perfect family. It was a church-going family, much like those that I see before me this morning. But ultimately, there was a murder in this family, and ultimately it was traced back to the wife, who was a woman who gave a testimony, who spoke of loving the Lord and of wanting her family to grow up and to be nurtured in the Lord. But as they, as the fa- as the story evolved or was opened up, it showed how this woman, even though she said the right things and gave the right kind of outward appearance, it showed that she had begun to drift away from her husband. She did not see the beauty of her husband. She saw more and more uh, necessities for her to take to make major decisions for the family, one of them was that their their son was becoming more and more delinquent, and the father was determined to take control of him and to discipline him. And he he told him if he didn't shape up, that he was going to move out when he was eighteen, that he was going to have to find a separate uh, domicile, because his witness and his influence in the family was becoming more and more negative. And the mother didn't want that. The mother didn't like that. So, in effect, the mother put her son or their son ahead of her husband and the family unity. And uh, that was kind of a root of bitterness that then grew up in her uh, more and more. And then uh, awfully and unbelievably, there came the day when the husband came home. She was hiding in the house and she shot him in the bathroom and made it to look like it had been a robbery uh, uh, with uh, gone wrong. Uh, well, I knew I was preaching on uh, leadership in the family, the, the godly man, and I was speaking about Jacob and his example. It is, uh, we, we've been speaking about the family, and it is very important all of the men in the congregation realize that whatever their family circumstances, that it's important for you to, to take to look at the scriptures like this and to take note of them and to say, what kind of lessons can I learn from Jacob? How can I be a better husband and father? The Lord has anointed us to be the leaders of our families. Uh, He has done this before the foundation of the earth. He's done this before he saw how we behaved. He's done this for, though some of us are stronger and some of us are weaker, the Lord has still made these administrative decisions. And uh, um, we can all uh, be influenced this way and that way a little bit by our circumstances. Uh, And uh, certainly the main circumstance is the godliness that God calls us to. Uh, But if our husbands and if our fathers, if the men in our family are responsive to the Lord and moving in a godly direction, then it behooves the women in the family to recognize that these are God's ministers to us and to to respond and to respect their leadership. Now, in this account today in the scriptures, we see where Jacob reached a very dangerous and a very dramatic point in their lives there as he lived with Laban and his family far to the east of his father Isaac, and the other people of God that were with Isaac. He reached this for a number of reasons. We see, first of all, we see Jacob as the observant father. 
And if we're going to be exceptional men for our families, we need to be observant. And this is a gift that uh, that the Lord gives us and the Lord expects us to develop. Now, in Jacob's case, uh, he it says in verse 1 that he heard the words of Laban's sons. Now, I'm sure that they didn't speak loudly in his ear. Um, I'm, glad, I'm, I'm sure that this, this happened in an incidental way or a, a less than direct way. Uh, but to whether it was through the... The, the reports that he would get from his larger family, as they would hear people speaking, as, he would, they, as they would hear Laban's family speaking, uh, or sometimes the servants, they would hear something, they, were, they would report to Jacob. But however the intel uh, came to him, he, was, he, took, he took cognizance of it. He was aware of it. As fathers, we need to be aware of our, our larger circumstances. I, I think I told you last week that, or no, I, I, I saw <laughs> another program this past week that dealt with the, the black population in southeast Kentucky. I was interested in studying Appalachia, and uh, uh, one of the things that really struck me was that they, there, there was a significant uh, black population amongst the coal miners, which I, I wasn't really aware of. And as I listened to their tale, they were telling it themselves in this program, and as they were telling the tale, they, I was impressed that the, the, some of the men realized that their, the coal industry was going through a time of transition and that they, they realized that they, had, they could see what it was then. They could see that they had jobs offered to them then. They could see that there was work to do. But they also wondered how long that would go on for. And so they began making plans right then. They, they said to each other, we have good jobs now. We, we see how coal is fitting into the economy right now, but we don't know what it will be like in five years or ten years. So we'd better, uh, we'd better not immerse ourselves in this life and pretend that it could never change. We'd better be ready to adapt for the future. I thought, I thought that was so remarkable that as a, as a group, uh, and uh, this is down in uh, Hazard County in south, uh, southeast Kentucky, Neon, uh, uh, Lynch, which is a town I didn't know about down there, uh, but uh, and, and and some of the black families as they moved out to places like Cleveland or um, uh, Detroit, uh, they would maintain relations with their families back in the coal fields, so that if and and so that if things change, circumstances change, that they they knew that the the people in the coal fields knew that they could they had connections in these other cities that they could avail themselves at some point uh, and uh, really pick up and even though it would be still tumultuous they'd be able to be able to pick up and survive because they had families in Cleveland and in uh, Detroit places like that Columbus uh, Ohio and uh, and even in places like Middletown close by here and Hamilton where there were big steel companies. And so um, it would appear that these people uh, were much like Jacob. They, 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 they were listening. They were thinking. The, the men and the families were probably consulting with wives and children and trying to determine what, what, what was the future. And they would school their families and their children to be thinking in this way so that if they did lose their jobs, it wouldn't be this huge calamity that they hadn't had any time to prepare for. 
but they were aware of their circumstances. So we see this with Jacob. He's very, very observant. He sees, he hears what the people are saying. Verse 2, he, he, he saw that the countenance of Laban was different. Now this, we need to be aware of our countenance, of the way we look, about the cast of our faces in this life. What are our faces broadcasting to the world? Are our faces testifying of our happiness in Christ? Of, of the fact that Christ is sufficient for us, that the Lord God is good to us, or are our faces cast down? Are we somewhat miserable based upon our circumstances? Well, Laban's, uh, Laban had been a man who was somewhat wealthy before, but since Jacob had come to him, he became exponentially more wealthy. He became a, a, a greater man in this part of the world. And, uh, but yet, as time went on, uh, Jacob became wealthier and wealthier and wealthier, and he eclipsed Laban in many, many regards, uh, so that the grandeur and the prosperity of Jacob became greater than the prosperity of Laban. Now, if we were, if we were Laban, the godly thing to do would have been to, to, say, to say to ourselves, well, I am very glad, uh, we are so thankful to the Lord that he brought Jacob here. We can see God's hand on Jacob. We can see how much we have been blessed by this. And if the day ever comes where God calls Jacob back to his land, back to Isaac and his people, uh, we need to rejoice because for, the, for the wealth and for the prosperity of Jacob, even as we rejoice our own prosperity. But that wasn't the way it was. Like so many people, they, they don't, they aren't thankful for what, God, for what God gives to them, for God's prosperity to them. They're always comparing. What is my prosperity compared with someone else? Um, uh, sometimes young men will constantly see these kinds of comparisons and be unhappy with the preparation or the prosperity that God has given to them as young men, whether it's brains or money or whatever else. And young women will be the same thing. Uh, I know Susan has told me how some of some very pretty friends of hers were the most unhappy because no matter how pretty they were, they they compared themselves to others that they considered more pretty, or they measured their nose or their ears and, and considered this is better. I, this is better in Mesa or Betsy rather than my, my own. And so in this life of ours, the, you know, the 10th commandment is thou shalt not covet, which on the positive side means thou shalt be happy with the things that the Lord, Lord has given thee. Doesn't mean you can't try to improve. You know, if you, if, you, if you think that you look, you don't look all that handsome or all that pretty, you know, you, you can wash your face. You know, try, try, to make, try to make what improvements you can. But the point is, we need to be happy with what God has given to us. That is not the way uh, Jacob began to see more and more unhappiness in the area that they were uh, with Laban's people, his servants, his children, and that kind of thing. And so he took note of that. It, it wasn't just that it was something he noticed, but he didn't do anything with it. He, noted, he thought of these things and he thought, what does this mean? Is this a good thing for my family or is this a bad thing? And he realized 
that as this phenomenon increased, that they were more and more endangered. The second benefit or the second great thing that we can see about Laban or the, Jacob is that he, he was a decisive man. Now we know that he had long suffered in many ways. He, he speaks here of how Laban had changed his wages ever any number of times. And Laban, the sound of this is that Laban had done this unilaterally. He had done this without consultation with Jacob. At one time, he consulted Jacob about his wages, and they had agreed. But then, unilaterally, without asking Jacob or without taking Jacob's thoughts and considerations into his hand, he just changed unilaterally, autonomously changed the conditions, changed the covenant. When we're in covenant with each other, if we've made a covenant, uh, the Bible says, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. It, it says that if you're going to change the covenant with somebody, you need to go and get their input on it. You need to, you need to negotiate that uh, bilaterally, not unilaterally. But Laban was not doing that. And uh, it reached the time, verse 4, we see that... Uh, uh, after God had spoken to him too, that Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field and uh, talked to them about telling them what he had seen, what his thoughts were. Now, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's the wise man that can both turn the other cheek and not get excited about every little thing that upsets him, Every little thing that might not be going his way, it's the wise man that can uh, defer and, and live a life of quietness amongst the turmoil of this world. And it's also the wise man who can make a uh, decision when decisions need to be made. We see uh, today as a nation, we see our leaders who don't seem very decisive. Uh, in the way of the Lord. They, 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 there are things that are going wrong. Um, this vast migration that's coming into the land, the, the rising crime, the fact that, uh, that uh, the fentanyl is killing 100,000 people a year, 100,000 citizens uh, a year in our country, and still uh, decisions are not made. Uh, I know this past week I made the remark with a friend in the area I made the mark that I just didn't think that the president uh, loved uh, the either the people of this land or the people, the immigrants that were coming in because there were so many bad things that were happening and he didn't change his policy. Well, this friend said, uh, he said you're being too, you're being too uh, negative about this. He said, you can't say that about the president. I, I was, I was nonplussed with him. I couldn't believe it. I said, well, I said, well, if if B is happening like murders and rapes on the border and you don't do anything about it, what does that not tell something about your disposition? He said, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> and I, I was really kind of shocked at the uh, at uh, at my friend and uh, took note of it, much like uh, much like Jacob here took note of Laban's workers and Laban's sons and that sort of thing. Because you know when people uh, when people think in a radically different way that there's usually some reason for it, and you either need to find out more about that or just beware uh, that uh, that uh, uh, big decisions follow small decisions. 
so the, the third thing here, we see that, uh, that Jacob was very wise from verse 4 and on. He was very wise as he dealt. He'd come to this place where he needed to make a decision. And so he, he, he made the decision to go, to leave, and th- this was made very quickly. There was not, there was not, he didn't put out a whole bunch of signs or intimations to Laban of what he was doing. He didn't complain louder and louder and louder. He'd been with Laban a long time, uh, 14 years plus, however many years followed after that. And uh, he had been a blessing to Laban. God had blessed him in the midst of this, but he realized that it was time to get going. And so uh, he did that, but he did that in a way that was very wise. And we see in verse four, that right away Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field. He didn't want to talk about this even in the place where the servants were so that they might learn and so there might be some scuttlebutt, some uh, hearsay, some rumor mongering that would then reach the ears of Laban. He called his wives out to the field and then he, he talks with them in such a way as to tell them what was really on his heart. Now the big problem here is that whenever we are dealing with people that come from another family, they are always want or able to side more with their family than they do with their new husband. In this case, he wasn't a brand new husband, but they had grown up in Laban's family. And uh, what would they think when Jacob began to deviate from Laban and his ways? What would they think when Jacob had these new decisions that challenged the way that they had been living? They could very well uh, decide to be loyal to Laban and go tell him and then start some sort of a huge family squabble. God in Genesis 3 tells us that when we that when we marry, that we are to make new families and that our loyalties are to be to the new family and not to the family from which we have come. It doesn't mean we don't love the families from which we have come. But there's a new principle here, and that is a new family with new children has uh, has a new priority. So you cannot have two and three and four families that, that, that all have these mixed motives and that sort of thing. Every family has to do what is best for that family. And they, they, the family of origination can't be resentful. The family... The new family, the wives, cannot be resentful against their husbands for leadership they take, uh, as long as it's as long as it has to do with godliness and the ways of the Lord. And so, um, the, the, Jacob, we see, is wise in this way. He he brings out his wives. He talks to them. They are, as I, I've characterized, the women in our families that are like the vice president of our company. It's very important that we gain their consent. Uh, to do these things. And so he tells them, he tells them that he has seen their father's countenance. Now, as he tells them these things, they can kind of work this over in their own minds. And what happened was that because of the wisdom of Jacob in doing this, not just making the decision unilaterally for them, but making making the decision, but then trying to encourage them in his thinking, uh, because of that, they come right along with them. And... Um, um, uh, they uh, uh, they they agree with Jacob and they they reach a kind of a consensus with him. Uh, and I like in verse six where Jacob refers to <clears throat> um, uh, how he had served Laban with all his strength, 
And he said, yet your father has deceived me and changes my wages ten times. At each one of these points, the, the, the women can say to themselves, is Jacob telling the truth? Is, is, he, is he characterizing these things righteously? Or is he twisting things and skewing things to fit the kind of bent of his own mind, which is not good? And they, they determined that, that Jacob had lived an honest life before them, and he had made the things that he had done, he had done faithfully and righteously. And he had been, uh, Laban had treated him badly, and things had had, had gone uh, wrong. He had long suffered, but now uh, they could see that Jacob was telling them that it was time to make a, uh, a change. Yeah, the, he, in verses 7 and 8, he gives a characterization of Laban. He said, Yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages, but God did not allow him to hurt me. So they could, they could evaluate both of all of those different ingredients. And uh, uh, if Laban said, The speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore speckled. This is a wonderful, this is a wonderful study of the sovereignty of God. There is an unseen hand that the Lord has in all of our affairs. Here it is that's being worked out in this agrarian um, um, uh, farm and uh, flock domain. And uh, we might think to ourselves, well, God is way up in the heavens. He has no interest in what kind of lambs are born whether they're speckled or striped or whatever else. But we see from this that, that we're, making, we're mistaken there. That as God dwells with us, he's very interested in the way things go. He, he's, uh, his sovereignty reaches into all of the nooks and the crannies of our lives. And so um, they can see, verses 8 and 9, um, they can see the sovereignty of providence and the way the Lord is doing these things. We can read providence to a degree ourselves. We can say, well, things are not going well, or things are going well, and we can, we can look at ourselves and we can say, uh, are we living righteously? Are we really, are our desires really unto the Lord? We're pretty good readers of ourselves if we take the time to do it, and if we are objective about it. Now, it's not, it's not very popular today to believe in objectivity. Today, uh, we're, the, the society is very prone to just decide what is our orthodoxy or what is our truth, sublimating truth beneath what we think it is. But Jacob doesn't do that. Jacob, if he, if he determines that Laban has been crooked and Laban has been selfish, we see that that's really what was going on. And uh, maybe from Laban's perspective, that wasn't true. But from God's perspective, God has an objective view of reality. It's a true view, view of reality. It's not, a, it's not jaundiced by false prejudice. God may be prejudiced uh, for the Israelites and against the Edomites or something like that. But it's because of truth. Some people point out in our day that just because opinions differ and opinions can be linked to the owners of the opinions, that then everything in this world is a, a matter of opinion. No, the Bible says there is truth and there is falsity. There are, some, there are many places where there are opinions that are not necessarily true and false, but there are many places where there are, and we're responsible to know the difference and not just treat everything as if it's a subjective opinion that has nothing to do with uh, overall or broad truth. And so the fourth thing we see here is that Jacob 
as the strategic leader. And in verse 17, we see that he rose and set his sons and wives on camels. This was done fairly quickly. So Jacob had the capacity, when he made this decision, he had the capacity to execute it. What does that say about Jacob? Jacob had organized his life so that these things might be possible. He wasn't caught flat-footed without any plans, without any preparations. It's much like Abraham when the, the kings of the valley, Chedorlaomer and those captured Lot and, uh, and kidnapped him. Uh, Abraham was ready. He had made plans in his life. He was ready for exigencies or twists and turns like this. And so he was ready to save his people by uh, the force of arms. So here Jacob is ready. And Jacob sets his sons and wives on camels. Now camels, uh, camels happen to be one of the faster creatures. When you, If you're riding a camel, you can get away faster. And so Jacob sent them ahead. And uh, then his, his possessions and his livestock and his servants, they followed so that he, he protected the most important part of his family by giving them the greatest distance away. And it was at a time, verse 19, when Laban had gone to shear his sheep. And uh, so it worked out. And it, it took Laban quite a while before he heard that anything was different. Probably Jacob, they probably left many things there that did need, that would not be easily transportable. But they, he took his wives and children and their most strategic things with them. And we see here at the end that in verse 19 that there's a, a kind of a, a, a fly in the ointment, namely that Rachel, uh, though in many ways she's a godly woman, she has these um, these allegiances to the old, the family idols of Laban that she thinks there's greater blessing if she takes just a few of these things with her. It'll make her feel good. It'll make her feel more comfortable. These were daddy's gods. Uh, he, he loved Jehovah, but he also had these gods there just to comfort him. Sort of like people will say, well, I love the Lord. I know who's really in charge, but knock on wood, I have to do this or that. You see, our, our loyalties can be divided. And this shows here that while Jacob's loyalties were more singular, more clear-headed, more forthcoming in terms of the Lord, that Rachel, his, his beloved Rachel, that she was a little bit confused theologically and psychologically. And this was going to cause them some troubles uh, just, just a little bit later on. But despite all of these things, Jacob gets his family, they're ready, and he gets them ready. And in, in really mere moments, he takes this family that had been settled in this area for many years, he takes them and they are off, heading for the mountains of Gilead, for the high places, for the, the, uh, the border areas of Israel, where Isaac and the rest of the family live. Now, I take this as a wonderful thing, and I take this as something that we, we fathers, uh, and I don't know how much the wives really appreciate this, but we fathers really do struggle. We Oftentimes we don't feel that we do the best job at these things, but we feel responsible for them. And to the degree possible, it's helpful for our wives to be supportive of us. Uh, they can be good vice presidents and say, well, have you thought of this or that? And trust us to think about those things. But then they need to be, uh, they, as, as much as we are godly men, they need to be supportive of us and encourage us on the, of, of, uh, in, in these things. 
Now, as I'm th- thinking about this, again, I can't help but compare uh, our Lord Jesus Christ as the, the husband of the church, as the groom of the church, as it's portrayed in the Song of Solomon, uh, where he is portrayed as the, the, uh, the husband of the church, our husband, as it were. We're, we're men and women in, in the church of Christ, but we have a great husband, even the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we think of him, we think of the, we think of how he's done these things. That we think of Christ's observation of how, when the children of Israel were in Egypt, uh, he was always uh, observing what was going on. He was seeing the suffering that they were going through. Uh, our Lord Jesus Christ is wise in his objectivity. He is not swayed to the right or to the left. He's not confused by things. He knows what is really right and wrong. In this world, sometimes the theologians are very confusing. So, and, and Queen Elizabeth dying this past week, <clears throat> I've remarked to a number of people how when they've said, well, she's not strong in this area or as strong in another area as she should be, I said, well, look at her counselors around her. Look at the churchmen. She's the head of the Church of, of, uh, of England, and but her her pastors, her theologians, her bishops, look at them. They Almost all of them are weaker than she was. So what would we expect? What the advice that she was getting? Uh, we need to be, we need to, to try to find the best counselors that we can. We need to do the best job that we can. And, uh, and in terms of the Lord Jesus Christ, when looking at his family, does he not, in terms of his analysis and his observations, does he not uh, scope out our problems? Does he not see what we really need? Does he not really see the, the spiritual death with which we are afflicted? There's so much confusion, brothers and sisters, as we try to live this life because of the spiritual death that we have come from, the spiritual confusion. Has he not seen the filth of our own sin? We, we often delude ourselves by comparing ourselves to each other and we think, well, you know, I'm really not that bad. But Jesus understands the depth of our sin. He understands how sick we really are. He understands the help that we really need. He understands our want of original righteousness. And he takes all of these things into consideration in terms of his cure. Does he not, does he not help us to escape these things like Jacob did in this case? Does he not help us to, to, to be freed of these things, really, not just in terms of appearance, but to be really free. Uh, the Bible says that when we have been set free by the Spirit of God, which is the Spirit of Christ, then we shall be free indeed. That it will not be a mistake, that it will not be a partial job. Our Lord Jesus Christ looks at all of the affairs of this world, and he prepares a place for us. Uh, based upon uh, his achievements, his righteousness, his bearing our sin, his taking away the sin, his endowing us with strength. He is a wonderful provider. He counsels us and then he provides for us. And there is nothing that he does when he, when he dies for our sin. Uh, there's no way in which he misses 1% of what he needs to die for. He is successful whether it's in his passive obedience or in terms of his active obedience. He does everything that is accordingly needed by his people. And then he sets us 
The Bible says that he setteth the solitary in families. The Lord knows that we know, we don't only have these spiritual needs, but we have psychological needs. He, he, he establishes a society for us. This church and the other churches, Christian churches of the world are part of Christ's provision for his family. Are we not amazed by the sweetness of the Lord? Do you like this or that person in the church here because of the help that they give you or the, the encouragement that they give you? Well, that comes directly from Christ, your husband. He enables the help that we receive. He prepares and serves within the church of Christ all of the resources that we need. And he does this like Jacob. Jacob does it as an in an exemplary way, but still imperfectly. But our Lord Jesus Christ does these things in a perfect way. It's wonderful. It's a blessing. I really, every family in this church, I, I, I am encouraged by. You, you give me an encouragement. You give me courage to live, courage to continue to minister in this midst, courage to speak up in this area because of the things that you bring in terms of our fellowship together. And all of this, I know, has been done by the Lord Jesus Christ, for which I need to be thankful, and we all need to be thankful. So let us rejoice here in this story about Jacob's manly leadership uh, for the way he does things, for the resources that we see. We, we thank you. We, we thank the Lord that he spoke to Jacob so clearly and told him, now is the time to get going. You've seen what La you've seen Laban's countenance. You've seen, you've heard what Laban's people are talking about. Uh, it's time to make your decision. It's time to go back and begin your life uh, under the umbrella of your father, Isaac, who still lives back in Palestine. Let us close in prayer. Our Father and our God, we pray that we would see Jacob's example. And even more, we pray that we would see Christ's example. We pray that we would be happy and satisfied and thankful for the perfect leadership that Christ gives his church. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would enable us to be happy servants of Christ's church, uh, giving to others, ministering to others in our midst, even as Christ has ministered unto us. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would work in every church and in every fellowship, that the more people would be aware of these things, the happier the fellowship the fellowships of Christ would be, and the more blessed. We pray that we might all work together for good uh, with those who are called according to this great purpose. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.